Travis Chappell is the host of Build Your Network, the top 25 business podcast. His mission is to help a million people cultivate genuine relationships in the right way. Build Your Network is the ultimate guide for aspiring professionals looking to grow their inner circle, increase their influence, and sharpen their relationships. Learn the best secrets on how to connect and build relationships with other professionals from guests like Ed Milet, John Lee Dumas, Aubrey Marcus, Elena Cardone, and more. Along with his podcast, Travis has obviously had more success with starting a podcast and getting value from masterminds than most. He has courses, a private Facebook group, masterminds, and provides one-on-one coaching regarding both. He just released a free course on masterminds I encourage you all to check out. Go to the links in the event recap for more information. Travis and I share a fascinating conversation going into his fascinating background, his podcast, and some amazing wisdom that will propel your life. We talk about his upbringing in an independent fundamentalist Baptist community, what he learned from playing basketball and recruiting students, leaving his community and starting a new life with his wife, taking the leap of investing over $6,500 in himself to attend John Lee Dumas' Puerto Palooza Mastermind propelling his stardom, how masterminds work and the value they provide, starting Build Your Network, tips for podcasting, the Blue Ocean Strategy, the power of networking, and more. For more information on Travis and the Build Your Network podcast, go to TravisChapel.com and BuildYourNetwork.co or follow him at Travis Chapel on social media. If this podcast impacts or speaks to you, please share it and leave a review. And as always, follow the More You Know Pod and Riley RM4 Tech on social media. trying to make it all make sense me more you no podcast travis what made you go to west coast baptist college to pursue a degree in church administration <laughs> that is a good question man um where do you get started with a bang uh well to answer that question i gotta kind of really go back to my whole childhood basically i grew up in a really um I guess, strict Christian, uh, background. So we were independent fundamental Baptists is what is what we were growing up. So, um, it was a very unique environment to grow up in. Um, you know, there was just to give you an example of a few of like the rules and stuff like that Mm -hmm. in high school and even throughout college, like no, um, no touching, kissing, hugging or anything, the opposite gender or anything like that. Um, girls had to wear skirts, like knee length skirts instead of pants, like could not wear pants even outside of school. Um, obviously no cussing or anything like that. And then, um, uh, no going to the movie theater, um, no drinking, even in college, no beard, no no beards. I couldn't grow a beard in in high school or college. I got demerits for not shaving in college. Um, and, uh, it was just a, just like a few things off the top of my head, just to kind of give you an idea of exactly what it, what it looked like. Um, so, and, and the, the big one too was no listening to like any sort of secular music. Um, and then even the Christian music that we could listen to, it couldn't have like drums or a heavy beat in them. So any Why? of the popular, uh, it just had to do with like the, the rhythm, I guess, the, the, from what those people said, the rhythm made you like, 
feel a certain way and it wasn't supposed to be about emotion. It was supposed to be about the meaning of the song and that feeling that you get from a beat is like from the devil and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So even like the Christian music that we listen to wouldn't even be any of the popular Christian music that's out there these days, like from Chris Tomlin or Hillsong or from Elevation or any of those people. Um, it was, it was a, a very, very interesting way to grow up. And so, um, when I, when I was growing up, obviously that was my only context. That was my only perspective on the world. So, um, I didn't think that it was abnormal at all. I thought it was completely normal. Um, I went to, to kindergarten. I graduated kindergarten, eighth grade, high school, and college all on the same campus. So wow. um, it was all kind of my whole life was just in this one little sphere in this in this bubble. Um, my friends were there. My social life was there. My sports were there. We did fine arts there. I went to school, went there, went to church there, went to, you know, soul winning there on Saturdays. So like seven days a week at this one, like, you know, um, 10, 20 acre campus or whatever it is now. Um, and, uh, and it was a large church as well. It wasn't, you know, a smaller place. It was like six, 7,000 members. And then the, the college has have, when I was there had a thousand members, I think they have more like six, 700 now. Um, and then the school, uh, was like three or 400 K through 12 or something. Um, all private, no open enrollment or anything. Only, only members of the church were allowed to go to the school. So very like very just closed circle. Okay. So to answer your first question, um, it really was like my only real option growing up. I, I, I felt, um, like I had a calling, I guess, when I was in like seventh grade, when I was 12, that I was going to be going into ministry. And so, um, all throughout junior high, high school, college, that was just what I was supposed to do. So and no, nothing else really ever came across my, my thought process at the time. Um, I, I had all, I always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial type of a spirit and a little bit of an itch that I had tried to, you know, scratch throughout high school, even elementary school, selling stuff to kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then coming into college, getting a sales job, um, when I was in college before I was going out into ministry, but, um, through all of that, I, I really just didn't really have a choice about it. It was more like, like, this is what I decided to do in seventh grade. And if I waver from that, then I'm going back on my calling type thing. So it was never even another, there's never even another a choice for me. So going, coming out of high school, the obvious choice was to just go directly into college for um, church ministries. I can't imagine growing up in an independent fundamental Baptist community like Travis did. If you are interested in learning more about that culture, you should check out the Duggar family on 17 Kids and Counting, which I believe is either on TLC or Lifetime. Going to kindergarten through college on the same campus is extreme, but you can look at it similarly to small towns or suburbs that you are more familiar with, where you go to school continually with the same people. Just way more extreme where they didn't include others in extracurriculars like you would if you were playing sports or doing some other activity with people from different schools in the local area. It is also worth taking notice that he graduated with degrees in church administration and ministries. Then upon graduating, he went into sales, then eventually into becoming one of the fastest growing podcasters with Build Your Network. Be aware that there are many cases where the degree you pursue or complete will have little relevance towards what you are doing. Travis is not the only person I know whose career does not reflect what they studied. I saw you played basketball there, and then you also did some recruitment of students. From like the perspective of networking and business, what did you learn from both basketball and recruiting students at the school? Yeah, I think I think uh, any sport uh, and really mastery of any craft or skill provides a lot of great insight into any business or entrepreneurial venture. Um, 
because when, when I was a kid, instead of, you know, being inside playing video games or whatever, I would be outside practicing left-handed layups and stuff like that. The same. Um, you know, so it, it, it helps, uh, to me, to me, having a, a skill like that, that you, that you strive to master, um, just builds really good discipline and really bit, really good habits, um, and, uh, helps you to be able to live like a little bit more of a fulfilled life. Not that, not I'm saying, honestly, I don't believe playing video games is bad. It's just that at the time, like that's what I preferred to do was, that was just your thing. basketball. So, um, not to mention being in team sports specifically, it helps you like really work as a team. Um, and then I practiced a lot. And so I would, you know, work my way up to be the captain of the team, which helped me with leadership and continuity and bringing a team together and even like coaching in there as well. Travis is right. Mastery of any craft or skill no doubt provides invaluable perspective. I also played sports throughout my life and would spend my free time practicing fundamentals also. And I think playing on a team provides additional perspective to be learned when it comes to teamwork and leadership. As he said, it builds good habits and discipline. It teaches you how to understand overcoming struggle and adversity, how to win, how to lose, the importance of preparation, working with others, taking on a leadership role and showing by example and helping others rise to the occasion, pushing your limits and building resilience which is something I find very important, and so much more. All of this that you learn applies to business, entrepreneurship, along with relationships and other things. You went from this life of where you kind of only knew one thing and you're raised in this one type of lifestyle, and I hear that now you kind of had this introduction to sales with the recruiting. What made you break out and kind of start new things and start your own life? You have your beard now, everything like that. Um, yeah, that's a good question, man. It was a lot of time that, that went by and it was, it was a lot of reflection. It was like a year and a half process for me to really eventually like fully decide that I was not going to be in, in full-time ministry. And uh, it was a difficult decision for me, like at the time, just because everybody in my life, like everybody that I knew, you know what I mean? Like not, not the majority of people, like literally everybody I knew was on that campus in some way, shape or form. Like they were a high school buddy, they were a college buddy, they were a pastor, a youth pastor, a leader, an authority figure that I looked up to, that I respected, that I wanted to be like. All of those people thought that I was going to be in full-time ministry and wanted me to be in full-time ministry. And so for me to break away from that was a huge decision. And I know a lot of people um, were, you know, talking talking crap back in the day and still do now, frankly, um, that, you know, I gave up on God or whatever they, you know, whatever people will say. And so I knew that people were going to say a bunch of stuff and I knew how people talked about people like me who had done other things. And so all of those like social pressures combined was just made a really difficult decision for me to, you know, break away from that and, and really pursue what I wanted to do. So it was year, year and a half of, um, like after college, but I think the biggest thing for me was getting out and away from that bubble. So when, when, when I got married, um, so let's see, junior or senior year of college, I had taken enough credits. I was taking like 21 or 22 credits a semester. So I graduated a semester early. So double majored in church ministries and Bible graduated a semester early. Um, so I was done with school December of 2013 and then got married in January of 2014 and then we, my wife and I walked like and grabbed our diplomas in May of 2014. Um, and then we moved up to Fresno from Southern California 
um, in September of 2014. So a lot of big changes really quickly. And it was the first time that I had ever lived outside of that, that bubble. And so it was the first time really that I got to kind of be outside of that and really discover who I was without all the social pressures of everybody, you know, telling me who I should be, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, I moved out there and I started working more in a sales job out there. Um, I told people that I was going to be working part-time at a church just to make them feel better about it. And, uh, I, I had, I had intended to do that. Um, but I could not, when I first moved there, wasn't a, uh, could, like it didn't work in my schedule for me to be able to, to do both of them. And so for like the first four or five weeks, it was like trying to be able to get back to the church. But by the time it ended up working out, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be doing this just to, you know, put other people's minds at ease and I'm not going to be doing it for, because I want to do it. So I'm not going to do it. And, uh, and then I, I jumped back into the door to door sales thing that I've been doing in college and got recruited into an alarm company at the end of 2014. And then 2015 went full fledged into sales and training and management. And that was my first ever six figure year it was 2015. I was 22, 23 or so. I can't imagine how challenging it was for Travis to make these changes in his life. As he said, literally everybody he knew and interacted with expected him to be in ministry. Social pressures, as he said, can make it hard to follow through on your dreams, and I think he brings up a very powerful point about how important it was for him to leave that bubble to gain perspective and find out who he truly was. Again, this is something that can be found at a less extreme level in small towns and even big cities where people don't leave a handful of block radius. I had a similar experience when I transferred to Channel Islands and lived in Ventura and Isla Vista. Without that time, I would never be where I am today without the perspective I gained interacting with people from so many different upbringings. Taking the leap and following your heart like Travis did will not only be rewarding for you because you are living the life you want to live, but can also be financially rewarding when you follow your passions and put in the necessary work. Doing that, as he said, propelled him down the road to his first six-figure year and eventually becoming a successful podcaster, and neither of those would have happened happened if he had continued pursuing ministries. And you said, don't ever assume that you can't meet someone that you want to meet. Just sit down and figure out a way to make it happen. Then do whatever it takes to do that. And so I saw you went to Puerto Palooza and I just wanted to hear what your process was heading into that and the aha moment you had to really commit to that. Yeah. So that is an attitude I've tried to adopt since that time. Um, like I said, I was starting from scratch, you know, that everybody that's listening heard a little bit of my backstory and understands like, no, I was literally starting from scratch. Like I didn't have business school buddies. I didn't have rich friends with millionaire dads. Like I didn't hang out at the country clubs. Like I didn't have any of those things. I started like zero from zero. The richest pe person that I knew at that time was making like 150, 200 grand a year that was the richest, wealthiest person that I knew. And so, um, so coming into this, I really had to like figure this stuff out. Like I couldn't just, I didn't, I didn't have a place to start from and build on. I had to, you know, start completely from scratch. So, um, when I, when I started viewing things that way, instead of like, Oh, I can't. And instead of, instead of looking at things like, Oh, I can't and changing it into how can I, um, doors started opening up a lot. And that's how it was with John Lee Dumas. And that's how it's been with a few of the other guests that have been on my show, quite, quite a few of the other guests that have been on my show. Um, instead of me saying like, Oh, that's impossible. I can't do that. I just start asking myself, okay, how can I make that happen? How can I like actively pursue, a path that's going to open up the doors that I want to open up. Um, so coming into coming into Porta Palooza, I had one thing in mind, which basically was when I did door to door sales. I, I I had done it for a couple of years, but the year that I made six figures and did the best 
that I'd done up to that point was the year that I got around somebody who was making more than that, who was making more than I wanted to make in door-to-door sales and got around that person and learned from them and studied them and got advice from them and mentorship from them and then just did exactly what they said. You know, a little bit with my own spin on it, but you don't, I just, I just, I'm not a person that tries to reinvent the wheel. If it's working for somebody else, it can work for me. So I basically just did whatever he told me to do and then it went really well. So coming into podcasting, I was like, I know nothing about this space. I know nothing about online marketing. I know nothing about podcasting. I know nothing about equipment, audio. I know nothing about any of this stuff. So how am I going to get good at it and how am I going to make money at it? I'll just get around people who are really good at it. So I went straight to the source of like the, you know, father of business podcasting with John Lee Dumas and um, just started following a lot of his content, consuming a lot of his content, took a couple free courses of his and then was really looking for a way to get in touch with them because I knew that he didn't do one-on-one mentorship anymore. And uh, so I I saw that he opened up Porta Palooza and it was a five, it was a three day mastermind with five people max, um, that were going to, that was going to be at his house in Puerto Rico. And so, uh, when I saw that come across the most I'd ever spent or invested into myself at that point was like 30 bucks for an audiobook, right? Like I didn't even, I didn't go to events. Like I didn't um, buy courses. I didn't do any of that stuff. So when I saw the $6,500 price tag for Porta Palooza plus flights, expenses, all the other stuff, it'd be an $8,000 weekend, like not continuous coaching, like three days of a yeah. weekend. And it wasn't even one-on-one. There was four other people that were going to be there. But when I saw that, um, it, it, was a, it was a huge mental shift for me to be, be okay with investing that kind of money into myself. And uh, so I looked at the price tag and decided, you know what, I'm just going to make this happen. It took me like a week and a half, almost two weeks to make the decision. And I almost missed out on the opportunity because it almost filled, filled up in the time that I was trying to make a decision. Um, but I finally made the decision dropped the money and went out to, to Puerto Rico. And, uh, that was uh, one of the best decisions I ever made. I think it's really important to consider where Travis is now and that a few years ago, he had virtually no network. So what did he do? He just started from scratch and figured it out. This, how can I mentality he talked about is so powerful and something that would be one of my first pieces of advice for someone. You can do this through mentorships and building relationships as well as reading all about it or taking a course. It does not need to cost anything a lot of the time. I think learning from those who have been in the position you are in, building relationships with like-minded people along with taking time to research and learn on your own are important building blocks to finding success in anything. Again, Travis found success trusting his gut, taking the leap, and investing in himself as he said making one of the best decisions he's ever made. That's awesome. Could you kind of explain what happened there and, and what he taught you and everything? Yeah. So when, when I went out there, um, there was one big mindset shift that I, I had before I left. Excuse me. <clears throat> Uh, so uh, when I, as soon as I made the purchase, right, a lot of money to me at the time, for sure, more than I'd ever invested into myself, um, up to that period. Um, now it's been tens of thousands of dollars more since that point, but up to that point, it was the most I ever done and it was a lot of money. So looking at that amount of money, my first initial thought, like right off the bat was, how am I going to make this back? Like I better get like, I better get some information from this guy that's going to like make this money back. So I had this mental shift before I left that said, you know what, if that's the attitude that you have coming into this, then you're probably not going to get that value. Like it's probably not going to come to you. You need to go into this trying to figure out how you can give 
how you can add value. Um, so even though you paid for this, think of a way that you can add some more value. And like what I wanted to come out of it was not just some knowledge. I wanted to come out of it with a real relationship with, with JLD. Um, and, uh, uh look, I, I, I'm smart enough to sit there and look around and see all the other people who've invested into a relationship with them who don't, who no longer have a relationship with them. So like, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those people. I want to be somebody that has a continuous friendship with the guy, um, so that I can rub shoulders with him more often and learn from him, um, and, and really get to know who is, who, who, who he actually is. And so when I went out to Puerto Rico, that was the attitude that I had. I even went as far as buying a drone, a $1,200 drone to take out to Puerto Rico because I had done some photography in my background. So I brought out like my camera and my drone. I was going to get some pictures of their house, some drone footage of their house and like give it all to them for free for their marketing materials and stuff. And like that was going to be the thing that added value, right? Yeah. Provided first, value. the first time that I flew it in Puerto Rico, I did a couple of test runs at home. Everything went fine. The first time I flew in Puerto Rico was off the roof of this apartment place that we were at and landing it. There was, it was a super narrow little spot to land. And I didn't realize how difficult it was to land in a super narrow spot. And I broke the drone the first time <laughs> I put it up in Puerto Rico. So I didn't get to do any of the things that I was planning on doing with it. Um, luckily when I, when I got back home, I replaced one of the blades with some replacements online and I returned it and they didn't notice that it was a replacement blade. And so I got the Smart. money back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but going into the, but, go, but going into that, then I was just like, well, crap, like there goes my, there goes my idea. What am I going to do now? So I just would carefully watch for an opportunity. And then it finally came up. He said he was going to be speaking at a podcast movement, which was, uh, which is the largest podcasting event in the country. And he had a booth that was going to be set up there where he was going to sell his freedom and mastery journals. And he needed somebody to, uh, and, he, and he wanted me to step, stop by and train the guy that they had that was already volunteering to work the booth um, because I had an extensive sales background. And so instead of saying, yeah, I'll stop by and, tra and train him, I said, you know what, I'll just work the booth for you. So now instead of um, instead of going to podcast movement and, and I was a brand new podcaster. So podcast movement was literally two weeks after I launched my podcast. <laughs> so I, I could have easily like justified in my head that I need to be going to these sessions. I need to be going to learn all this material from this speaker and that speaker. And I want to go learn about this and this and this and this and this, um, from that person and that person. Um, I could have easily justified that, but instead of doing that, I decided, you know what, and, and I had a lucrative uh, sales uh, model back then that I, that I could, you know, have, if I had spent that weekend working, made a good amount of money. Um, but instead of doing that, I volunteered my time. I paid for myself to get there. I paid for my own hotel. Everything was on my dime. And I uh, stood in a booth for eight hours a day for three days. Like I was, like I was working a home show selling solar again and, um, and volunteered my time. It went really well. He invited me to another event. And during those times, like I got correspondence in between the events to like, you know, make sure that, cause I let them ship all their journals to my house, which saved them more money. And I would drive them to the events and paid for my own transportation again to the next event, my own hotel again for the next event, volunteered my time again for the next event. Like all of those things was all totally for free just to add value and build a relationship with somebody like John. And, um, and that one mental shift 
I think is the, is the, is like one of the biggest reasons that, that my show is, as is, is where it is today. Um, because if I didn't have that kind of relationship with John, then I would not be anywhere near close to, to where I am, you know, now. So, um, that was, that was a, a huge, huge thing for me. So I learned a lot of stuff when I was there. I got a lot of knowledge. There was obviously great content. Um, I met, you know, some really awesome people who I still have great relationships with, um, while we were there. But, the main thing that I took away from that was being able to actually have a friendship with somebody like John. This mindset shift that he brought up of how can I provide this person I'm looking to build a relationship with value rather than how can I make my money back is so incredibly valuable in the essence of networking. Most relationships, whether they are personal or business, are based on the value you provide one another. And when you are in the position where value may not be apparent like Travis was in, it is important to do what you can to provide value. Not only that, at the end of the day, what you put your time into should be focused around serving and adding value to the world, not the personal gain you'll be receiving. Travis also brings up another important point with his story. His initial plan of providing value through the use of the $1,200 drone he purchased went down the drain. There's going to be many times in life where your plans don't go as planned. Oftentimes people will begin to freak out and feel like they failed. Please don't do this. It's important to take on a similar mentality to Travis and push forward and adapt. The value he ended up providing helping with selling journals at the event ended up being more invaluable for John Lee Dumas, and without that experience, there's no doubt that he would not be where he is today. Something he continues to do in his life that we have been discussing that should be taken note of is that Travis continues to take the leap and figure out how he can make the best of his situation, and it continually pays off. Masterminds is not something that everybody's aware of. It's not necessarily a common thing. It's becoming more common. And I see that you have a course that you've created recently about it. Uh, could you explain to our listeners just what a mastermind is, the basis of it, and the value it provides? <clears throat> yeah, 100%. And if you want to check out that course, it's at freemmcourse.com. It's totally free mastermind course. It tells you everything you need to know about masterminds. But um, real, what, what my definition is, because if you look up the dictionary definition, this definition is not going to be in there. Um, the, the business group of people that we always talk about is not in the dictionary. So my definition is basically it advanced minds, a group of people who meet consistently on purpose for the purpose of brainstorming accountability ideas, um, and pushing each other forward to reach their goals. That's basically like a, a pretty basic definition of what a mastermind is. So there's a lot of different forms and there's a lot of different types and there's a lot of different um, models that are done, but that's more or less the gist of each and every one of them. Like some of them are free, some of them are paid, some of them are, you know, a hundred bucks a month and they go until they don't go anymore. And some of them are, you know, 20,000 bucks and it's 12 months only. And then some of them are six months and it's 5,000 bucks. And some of them are limited to 50 people. Some of them are limited to 10 people. Some of them don't have a limit at all. Um, but at the, like, regardless of all of that stuff, the core purpose is basically a group of people who are like-minded, who believe the same things and who are trying to accomplish things. And they want to get together, um, on purpose consistently for the purpose of brainstorming accountability and, um, and pushing each other forward is, is more or less what every single group is going to be. Travis attended a mastermind when he went to Puerto Palooza. 
As you can see with his story, there is immense value in learning from and building relationships in these settings. While I agree with Travis's definition when it comes to masterminds being a group of people getting together surrounding a similar focus or goal, they seem to be divided based on intentions. Certain masterminds are created with the outlook of everyone getting together to move the mission they are all looking to accomplish forward. Others have the focus of the person or people putting it on profiting off of the occasion along with their ability to bring people they see value in into their network. These pay-to-play scenarios become an event surrounding having people pay to see the thought leader provide information in person that can be found in podcasts on the internet or in books along with a little more information they do not share with the public. The ultimate value that is paid for is the possible relationship that can be gained like Travis intended on forming that also brings them into their network of connections. So what this means is that if you do not go into a mastermind scenario like Travis did building this relationship in the end, you will most likely receive no return on investment, only learning what could have been learned on your own time at no cost. A well-known entrepreneur began a mastermind community surrounding developing an incredible personal brand. After I showed interest, he provided me with some information regarding what would be learned at the Mastermind. Appreciating the success he has had, I have spent hours listening to him speak on podcasts. What the Mastermind was providing was virtually identical to what he had discussed countless times on YouTube. I shared a call with a member of his team, and it was clear that they scouted people for their exclusive mastermind that they saw value in that they were offering to bring into their network, helping propel their success. The price tag was $50,000, and for me, investing in yourself rather than wasting money on other things is important. But for that amount of money, providing information that can be learned at no cost is simply another form of what the Clintons are known for doing. If you have more interest in masterminds, definitely make sure to check out Travis's free course at freemmcourse.com. It's the best course I have found covering the seven Object. How much do you think you got in return on investment from the $6,500 you invested in, and what do you think the overall value you got from that? It's kind of it's kind of hard to really put numbers on it necessarily because your podcast is still growing and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, so far tens of thousands of dollars. Like it's really difficult to to say exactly, but um, pr- I mean, really honestly, I could probably trace back every dollar I've made on my podcast or brand in some way back to that one experience. Um, if I, if I was like really careful about it. Um, so man, the majority of the money I've made, you know, there's, yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough to exactly quantify that, but, um, um, a lot. And it still grows. Made back. Yeah. It's always growing. It's, it, that's the thing about relationships, man. You invest into yourself and your relationships it's like the number one compounding investment there is like relationships compound like crazy. Bringing up the issues surrounding the selfish intent of those putting on certain masterminds to profit, I do not want to disregard the value in Travis's experience. The eight grand or so that he invested translated to hundreds of thousands of dollars through the relationship that he built with JLD, and it still grows today due to being able to really credit most things that have come from Build Your Network to that experience. If you have the intentions of showing the value you provide and creating relationships, it can be worth the investment as the return on investment can be much more significant. Travis also brings up another very important point, which is relationships are one of the best compounding investments you can make. When you build a relationship and continue to foster it, the value that can come from it continues to grow through different forms. Relationships and networking should be looked at as an investment, not just due to the value they provide, but the time that is expended in them. This time is well worth it. Could you explain what the Blue Ocean strategy is and how it exactly applies to your podcast? Yeah. So in any business, the idea of the blue ocean, um, I forget the name of the guy who wrote the book. I don't know if you, if you remember his name. Um, um, uh, you, you can look it up, throw it in the show notes, but uh, blue ocean strategy is, is a book and it, the, the overall concept 
is basically finding your niche, finding an area that has not been t- uh, touched yet, a market that hasn't been tapped yet. Um, and uh, it, it's a much better concept to me in describing how to niche than just saying to niche because a lot of people, when they think of that, they come up with like these, you know, the subs, the subsection of the subsection of a subsection of a subsection of a big topic. And they're like, now I have my niche. Like now, like I'm going to do, I'm going to do, you know, Instagram marketing, uh, for dentists that live in, you know, um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and that are within three miles of the nearest Rite Aid and like, and, and they get super specific with their messaging. And while I think that that kind of stuff is important, I don't think that it's necessary. What's necessary is finding the blue ocean. So meaning that if you are, uh, if, if you're a shark and you're in the ocean and you're swimming along and you see a, a, a and you see a seal and you go kill the seal and you start eating the seal the water is blue around that seal it's blue ocean right when you as soon as you take that first bite as a shark the water starts to get red what happens when the shark when the water gets red all the other sharks around start sniffing the blood and they swim out to where the red ocean is. And then it, the ocean just keeps getting more red and more red and more red and more red and more red. And we see that happen all the time in business. Like um, Mark Zuckerberg comes out with uh, Facebook, absolutely crushes it. And now like every, and for like three years after that, five years after that even, and really it's still going on, just not as much people coming out with social media sites left and right. Like, yep dozens and dozens of social media sites. So like Mark Zuckerberg moved into this giant blue ocean and uh, started bloodying up the waters a little bit. And as soon as that happened, all these other people came in and attacked the same kill. And then all of a sudden the ocean's completely red and there's no more food left. There's no more, there's no more way to make money there. Right. Oversaturation. Correct. So that, so the idea of the blue ocean is to swim out and find uh, a part of the ocean that's, that's still blue that you can, that you can still farm and make money on. And a lot of times that's going to be like the niche of a niche of a niche of a niche. Like sometimes it's going to be that, but other times it's not. The blue ocean strategy is a great concept to clarify how to find your niche and target market. I think Travis explained it perfectly. The basis of it is to find an untapped profitable market. The goal is that there is enough of a market to make the profit you are looking for, but not an oversaturated market where you will be overlooked by your vast array of competitors. Do you have any advice for building numbers? Yeah, um, I got. I have a, a lot of advice for building numbers. Um, most of it I only share with my podcast coaching clients, um, but uh, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a couple. Um, cool. I'll, I'll give you one like main thing that seems so obvious, but people forget about it. The way to build an audience is one person at a time. Period. End of story. Like unless you're somebody that has an existing audience somewhere else, and you start a podcast, and they flock to you because you already have an audience, like. And, and there's one-offs as well. There, there's, there's some people that aren't well-known that just like, you know, like, like I, like I've, I have a couple of buddies who started a, a cryptocurrency podcast right before that whole cryptocurrency boom happened yeah, last right year. Place, right and time. it just took off. Like, so there's going to be one-offs, but in terms of like real sustainable growth that people can duplicate over and over again, the answer is one at a time. And it's not the, it's not the cool, sexy answer because it takes a lot of hard work to do that. Um, but that's the real answer because you can't, build your audience if you have a bunch of people who just kind of like your show sure you have to have real fans and evangelists of your show and one of the best ways to do that is to do that one by one by one so 
I, uh, I, I put a, a, a lot of, a lot of weight on that. And, and that's why I also think that engagement matters more than numbers. I, I know a lot of, a lot of my, a lot of people that I know have a lot bigger numbers than I do. Um, but they don't make as much money through their show as I do because I focus way more on engagement and real relationships with people. Um, and really focus on that one by one strategy. Getting listeners is no doubt one of the biggest challenges. I like the point that he brings up of building it slowly, listener by listener, and with hard work, dedication, and time, you will build a strong organic following of true fans. I also do want to remind you that if you're interested in investing in yourself and getting one-on-one coaching from Travis, check out his website or send him a DM on Instagram for more information. Do you have any advice for acquiring guests? You have had, you've had really amazing guests like and Milet. Uh, Aubrey Marcus, do you have any advice acquiring guests in general? And then what's the difference acquiring a, a big time guest like Ed Milet versus somebody else who may not be as well known? Yeah. So I, I teach people that there's a couple different pieces of content that you should be putting out. You should be putting out like building content, pe- content that builds your audience and, uh, and builds your credibility. And then you should be putting out value content, content that not necessarily, um, you know, builds your presence online or helps you have credibility, but is really valuable content that people can really learn from. Um, so you bring people, you bring listeners in with Ed Milet, but then they stay around because the person they listened to after Ed Milet had just as good content as Ed Milet because me as an interviewer, I've worked to like hone that skill and, and grab content from people so they can listen to Ed Milet. And if they're a fan of Ed Milet, they're, they're going to see that and be like, Oh, he's had Ed Milet. I'll go listen to that episode. But if the next episode starts playing, like that's the value content that might, it might not be somebody that they know or recognize, but it's somebody that uh, they can definitely like get some value from. These two forms of content that Travis discusses applies to business, entrepreneurship, personal branding, and more, not just podcasting. Building content which builds credibility and audience could be looked at like when Ed Milet was on Travis's podcast or even when Travis was on mine. Value content is content that does not necessarily build your presence but provides a learning experience. This could be looked at like the recap episodes that you're currently listening to. Building content is for awareness and bringing people in, and value content is to provide them continual value to keep them around. The value content can provide the same benefit as building content with the power of word of mouth as well. There is an interesting parallel between what Travis discussed in business. With building content, a business should regularly be posting to social media with the intention of building awareness. This is done on a regular basis to ultimately draw the buyer to your product or service. With value content, a business should be regularly providing blogs, webinars, ebooks, email newsletters, and more that provides knowledge they are looking to gain. This creates a sustainable relationship. You have a five-minute rule that you try to live by. Could you explain that? Yeah, the five-minute rule is basically saying if something is not going to matter in five years from now, then don't spend more than five minutes worrying about it right now. So um, this is something that uh, I actually, I think a lot of people uh, kind of go by this, but I picked it up from Caleb Maddox, a buddy, uh, a buddy okay. of mine, um, who said that one time. And um, I, I just, it's, it's, it's tough because when you're in the situation, like it sucks and you, and you just want to be pissed. Um, but when you, when you can, when you can, the ability to back out of a situation when it immediately happens and elongate your response time, um, is 
has got to be at the top of your priority list of, of like something to get something to get better at. So um, it's really hard because when you're in the moment, all you want to do is be pissed. Your emotions are taking over. So you have to be able to like jump in there and be like, does this make sense? I love Travis's five minute rule. The basis of it is that if the issue you are concerned with will not matter five years from now, do not spend more than five minutes thinking about it. Now that may be slightly over-exaggerated with it being in certain cases alright if it matters one year from now or you take 15 minutes to be upset, but I could not agree more with his rule. My mother used to always ask me when I would share something I was upset about, is this going to matter a month from now and if I said yes then she'd ask a year from now and if I said yes again then she'd say five years from now and so on. She also always said if it's out of my control it's not something worth thinking about. I think it's just as important to take that time as it is not to let the time prolong. If you do not take the time to allow yourself to go through the natural emotion of anger, it can become bottled up and affect your life for a much longer period of time, hence continuing to let it affect you. So take the time to be upset, be aware of why you are upset, and analyze why you are upset. Then carry on with your day being the best you can. Travis also brought up a very important caveat, which is the time you take should not be destructive or projected on others. Both of these provide additional issues and a relationship can be lost in a matter of moments. Could you provide some insights on how to build powerful relationships that are win-win? So we talked about how you have to provide value both ways. And I think that's the essence of networking. So could you just explain that? Yeah, I think that, that you first should be focused on creating relationships that are a win and not for you, but for the other person. So the, the win for you will come later. That, that's the bottom line with all this stuff. You just have to trust that like giving is going to be is going to be beneficial for you that it's just a law like reciprocity is a law of the universe. It's not necessarily just something that, that happens in our brain psychologically, although that is also true. Um, but, uh, if you, if you're always measuring stuff and you're, and you're only willing to do favors for people, if they're willing to do favors back, then that's not a good way to look at it either. So I think that the real way to create a lot of win-win situations is to focus on helping other people win first and not worrying about your own win doing things for others without the expectation of receiving any, anything in return is going to help, um, is going to help you create many, many more, more win-win situations in the future. Building relationships is so incredibly important. I love what Travis brings up about looking at relationships in the way of how can I help them win first and believe that the power of reciprocity will provide you value in some form at the right time in the future. What he brings up about focusing on giving and providing service to the world first, paying off in the end, and the law of reciprocity are something I believe in as much as Travis does. Focusing on what you can do for the person rather than what you receive provides a shift in mindset that fosters a stronger relationship. Not only are you then better focused on providing value to the other person, but when you shift your focus that way, it's apparent your intentions are do what's best to move the other person's mission along with the overall mission forward, which will be better appreciated than the average individual coming off as I'm interacting with you because I know you and I will both get value in working together. This also ties into what he discussed previously regarding relationships being incredible compounding investments. If you focus on serving as many people as possible with the trust that will pay off in the end, your odds of one or more of those relationships providing the value you are hoping for is virtually guaranteed. I think in this conversation with Travis, a few things are very apparent. Your life may not turn out how you initially intended, but there are habits and lessons that can be learned on the way through different experiences that, if aware of, can be applied to bring success in other areas of your life. Also, taking the leap, jumping in the deep end, and investing in yourself pays off with hard work and proper intentions, and building relationships that are focused on providing the other person value and trusting that will pay off in the end is the way to foster relationships that will provide value for a lifetime. We are grateful you took the time to listen to our conversation and hope it makes a positive impact in your life. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening or watching it. Check out other episodes, leave a review, 
and follow us on social media at MoreYouKnowPod. Also, please do not forget about our monthly sweepstakes. Tag two friends on a post on Instagram for a chance to win a brand new copy of Dean Graziosi's Millionaire Mindset or Max Out by Ed Milet. Retweet a clip with hashtag the more you know and new podcast from our Twitter for a chance to win a signed copy of my upcoming book, The More You Know, coming this fall. And lastly, like us or share a clip on Facebook for a chance to win a book that I have read that highly inspired me, signed by me with an inspirational message. Again, thank you so much for listening as we propel with podcasting through The More You Know. trying to make it all make sense. The more you know podcast.